Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know everything, anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down in ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Hey, everyone. Uh, hey, <laughs> hey, guys. My name is Chris. Um, as, as Dan, I think it was, that meant, just mentioned, um, uh, welcome. Uh, I'm one of the ministry interns here at WBC. If you don't me, I'd love don't know me. I'd I'd love to get to know you uh, after the service. Uh, before we get uh, look at this psalm together, I'm just going to quickly pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you that we can come together and look at at your word. I pray that uh, as we look at Asaph's reflections um, here in uh, this psalm, Lord, I pray that you help us reflect on our lives and and how it relates to us. And I pray that you help us to be um, open-minded about, um, yeah, being conviction um, about parts of our lives which which need to be renewed and changed, Lord. And Lord, I just pray um, that we uh, go away, yeah, thinking about um, how yeah we can be shaped and molded to be more Christ-like. In your Son's name, Amen. <clears throat> Surely God is good to those who love Him. Uh, sometimes we can uh, look at the people around us who don't trust in Jesus and we can see that their lives are so much more prosperous than us. 
Our next door neighbour rocks up uh, after work in, in the latest BMW at their um, two-storey grime-free house and it's surrounded by this radiant green grass and a neatly placed exotic plants which look like they've been sourced from the deepest parts of the Amazon uh, jungle. They make their way to the front door um, in their well-fitted business suit with a briefcase and they uh, politely smile at you with the, the biggest grin and you read it as, I'm doing better than you. You look at your rented house and you see this weathered down old shed um, with a, a front yard that can only be described as chaos. And you're reminded that you spent the last few weeks looking for a job and this morning you were scrounging around for um, whatever gold coins you can find to split between your medical bill and your rent. Surely God is good to those who love him. When we see people who don't follow God, we may see that they and even other Christians are a lot more prosperous than us. They're richer than us, they have better relationships, have more fun, they're regularly posting uh, on Facebook photos from their holidays and it looks as if they, they never work in their life. Um, we're all prone to envy and it, it shapes how we interact with each other and how we treat each other. It's a feeling that, we can, that can lead to many dangers as it, it festers up in, inside us and um, it turns into this big monster that corrupts us and our character. We can envy others who may not follow God and envy fellow Christians as well. So my question for us tonight is why is envy a danger for God's people? Why is envy a danger for God's people? The psalm that we'll be looking at today begins with a true statement about God. Asaph says in verse 1 of Psalm 73, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so this is a theoretical reality about how God blesses those in Israel who are trusting in his promises. However, this statement doesn't seem to match up with Asaph's experiential reality and our experiential reality. After looking at the, the prosperous people around us, we then look at ourselves and may see a stress-filled life with a complicated relationships, constant sickness and pain, not enough joy to create a genuine smile, and no photos worthy posting on the Facebook podium. Uh, we are, yet we are genuinely a faithful, servant-hearted hearted follower of Jesus who regularly reads the Bible, who fervently prays, self-sacrificially serves, unconditionally loves, and continually dives into the WC, um, BC Deeper podcast. If we compare ourselves to uh, prosperous people, it can be easy to slip into envying them. And this brings us to our first point for today, which is that our experience of the world can lead to envy. Our experience of the world can lead to envy. Asaph, who wrote this psalm, he's a Levitical priest uh, who is an appointed singer in the temple. And so this psalm is a reflection of his struggles uh, with envying the world's way. Asaph doesn't hide the way he was feeling when he compares his experience uh, in this world to his understanding of God, which we just read out in verse 1. His reflections model a faithful way of relating to God. Through this, answers are provided by God in the rest of this psalm, as we will see. And it is a good thing to discuss our frustrations with God, as we see throughout a lot of the psalms in the Bible. Um, looking at verse 2 and 3, we see that Asaph's experience in this world 
leads him to almost losing his faith uh, due to the dangerous mindset that he's had, um, which led, has led him into temptation to follow the world's way. And so Asaph, he identifies the behavior um, of the prosperous people in this psalm um, that he's envying as we read further on. Um, so if we look at verses 4 and 5, we can see that he elaborates um, on their behavior. He says that they don't have any, and their prosperity, he says that they don't have any his struggles. They're healthy. Their lives are free from common human burdens and illnesses. And so if we are experiencing any of these, it is easy for us to envy uh, people who don't. In verses 6 to 12, he then lists how their prosperity is toxic to their behavior. It has prompted them to live a self-centered, sinful life. Since they have such a great life, they have placed themselves above those who don't have life so well off. He begins with, with pride being the trait they display, and this is accompanied with violence. If you've ever seen someone who takes pride in something and you've said something that undermines it, you may have found that they don't like it at all. Instead of receiving a, a humble, typical Aussie um, freight statement of, um, yeah, nah, nah, yeah, nah, yeah, nah, it's not as good as it looks, you may have received just a snappy, defensive uh, response with a bit of anger in there. And you may, found, may have found that they don't like it at all. Instead of, re- sorry, um, these prideful people, Asaph is observing, have sinned so much that their hearts have become callous to sin. And so this is a heart that doesn't sense any damage caused by moral failure. It's a heart that has experienced so much sin that it's become desensitized to it. And so this could be in contrast to a pure heart. as It says their imaginations are now tuned to produce evil thoughts abundantly. And there's no longer any question of morality and no recognition of the consequences of sin. It's a dangerous heart to have as it will lead um, to both us and others being hurt by our sin. And so these people talk down to others maliciously and threaten to oppress out of arrogance. And here in verse 8, they're placing themselves above other people, placing themselves above God, which we see in verse 9. And as he says, they, they lay claim to heaven. And so this is them potentially describing uh, their, their prosperous earthly life as equivalent to heaven, which is a pretty arrogant statement to make. <clears throat> they are free of care, as Asaph puts it in verse 12, senseless to the destruction they are causing with their selfishness. Envying living the world's way will lead to a lifestyle which includes some, if not all, of these things. Envying the world uh, creates a, a toxic mindset. In verse 13, Asaph tells us how he's ba- battled with uh, the desire to maintain a moral lifestyle. He makes another statement of uncertainty. Instead of being about God's goodness, this is about whether it's pointless to avoid sin. He says in verse 13, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. This is dangerous territory. He's worked himself into the mindset of justifying sin so that he can experience the prosperity of those who don't follow God. First of all, he said that keeping a pure heart, it's pointless. And then maining innocence is a waste of time. And he, 
doesn't say this about the reason. The thing that's tempting him to sin is the affliction, the pain that he's experiencing. This wasn't just a single event. This is a consistent, as he says in verse 14, every morning brings new punishments. And this could potentially be the violence that comes from the other nations um, or burdens that he carries uh, that they don't. But for us, it could be frequent struggles in life that are weighing us down, draining um, our potential for joy. It seems to make sense, doesn't it? Why bother following God if you're just going to continue living in underprivileged conditions? The pursuit of purity we aim for can feel pointless sometimes. But chasing worldly wealth will not satisfy us, and it often leaves us empty-handed. When I was in primary school, I I stayed up at my grand's house uh, in Sydney regularly with my my siblings. And so one day, my brother and I, um, we were playing this shopping game where we we made our own um, money out of uh, spare paper, um, cut it up. um, And so... We would sell household items to each other that we didn't even own. <laughs> and in the middle of the day, we um, went out to the mall. My grand took us out. Uh, no one was home. And after about an hour, we got back. And when we got back, uh, we saw that the, the front glass door was smashed. And so I walked inside and saw uh, on the floor one of my grand's handbags, which was on the chair. And, um, and it spread all over the floor was all the, the paper money that my brother and I had made. There were our tens, hundreds, thousands, million dollar notes uh, that we put together. We thought we were very rich. But I can't imagine the frustration the thief must have had when he thought that he scored a jackpot, when he found the f- purse and, and found that it was just full of fake money. The poor guy went through the stress of breaking into a house to be fooled. And this shows how easily our prosperity can be taken away. However, the wealth that the faith was after, it turned out to be worthless rubbish. He didn't walk away with anything. And this is what the prosperity we prioritize compared to God is. It's rubbish. And so why would we want to follow the world's way? In this consumer-driven culture where, where we need to have the latest thing, For example, if someone has a new phone, you just need to get a new phone as well. Uh, People are buying houses, and so you need to buy one as well. Your friends are buying new cars, and you end up becoming discontent with yours. It still works great, and it has plenty of kilometers in it, but it's not as shiny, and it it doesn't have a built-in GPS system. Now, that would be handy. Like, I know I've, I've, in my car, I um, I use this clamp, suction clamp thing. I, I stick to the window, and then... Um, clamp my phone to it and, and sometimes when I'm driving uh, the clamp falls off and while I'm going around a corner and then I don't know where I'm going and I'm so worn down by having this this clamp always falling off and attaching it to the window I, I wish my car had a built-in GPS system and I think I need a new car and so I might just buy one well, let's take another perspective. We've just seen the personality traits that we can end up having when making prosperity our priority. A lot of us Christians may be prosperous as we do live here in Australia. But even if we think we're not prosperous, let's put ourselves in the shoes of someone uh, who is. We can easily slip into being prideful about our prosperity and look down on others to treat other Christians and non-Christians with less respect. 
We should not talk to people as if they have little faith or aren't good enough because the car isn't as nice or the house is run down or their clothes aren't as nice. Do we really want to make prosperity more important than following God? Envying this prosperity leads to harming ourselves and others, and we should not prioritize prosperity over God. It's a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> uh, to do this is to reject God as the all-powerful creator of ours. And this has a consequence. Talking about this behavior that envy brings takes us to our second point, and that is that the world's way leads to judgment. That the world's way leads to judgment. Asaph, he was a priest uh, in the temple, which is where God would meet with his people um, This is before Jesus came. And as, as a priest, his life involved little wealth. He, he couldn't buy a property to build on, uh, to farm and make a profit. He didn't have the latest breed of camel or the most fashionable sandals out. As a priest, he was one of the, the least prosperous of God's people. And this meant that he was particularly prone to the envy which he fell into. Continuing on with the passage, we can look at verses 15 to 22 and see that Asaph realizes the result of envying prosperity. And sometimes we can have a pessimistic attitude to the circumstances we're in. We can be caught in it for a long time until we do something or say some, someone says something to us which changes our perspective. Surprisingly, Asaph wakes up to the path that he was about to walk down. In verse 15, Asaph says, If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He sees that he would have ended up living a lifestyle that was counter to the followers of God. A lifestyle where he's not rejecting God, but he's rejecting the followers of God. And this would have caused a lot of distress in the community. If they saw him fall into a sinful lifestyle where prosperity takes priority over God. In verse 17, we can see that this is the pivot point of the passage. Something transformed his perspective. His viewpoint was reorientated when he entered the temple, when he entered God's sanctuary. He saw the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, and this is where God was enthroned amongst his people. He was before the judgment scene of God. He realized that those who don't follow God will be guilty at the time of judgment. And Asaph, he's reminded of the ultimate consequence that those who reject God will receive. <clears throat> His eyes were open to the pointlessness of envying other prosperous people who don't follow God as their final destiny is judgment. And we see this in verse 18 to 20, where he realizes that the people he was envying are the ones who are on slippery ground. The way that they were behaving with their pride in their prosperity will bring them to ruin. And this could be both during the present where their sins um, they're committing have consequences and at the final judgment where Jesus returns and God's anger is poured out. Prosperity is only temporary before disaster can strike at any moment. And it can be unexpectedly uh, taken from us. When I was uh, looking at buying my car, it looked at as if it was in excellent condition, we checked it out, took it for a, a drive. Uh, it looked great. A few months later, I went on a camping trip. And on the way back, uh, the check engine light came on. And so I pulled over, um, had a look under the bonnet, and the coolant reservoir was completely empty. I went, when I got the car back to the mechanic, um, 
we found that the water pump had rusted out that needed to be replaced. And then within a week or two, I also found out there was a few other big issues with it that needed fixing. And so I felt I had to spend a lot of money to, to fix that up, the car that I, my first car that I just bought. And so I felt prosperous for the stage um, I was at, buying my first car, and then calamity came upon me. God gave me something good, but then it, all of a sudden it seemed like it was being taken away from me. Prosperity won't last. And Asaph realizes this, that chasing prosperity is vanity. It leads to ruin. Continuing on with the psalm, Asaph then becomes aware of his emotions, which we can see in 21 and 22. He says that his heart had become sorrowful by the envy. Life wasn't fair, and this made him bitter towards God, and his attitude to God became aggressive, and this bitterness could easily have been directed towards other people as well. And this part of the psalm about judgment is uncomfortable to hear if you're not a Christian, but it reveals the consequence for rejecting God. And this is where there is a decision that you can make to avoid this destination. The great news is that we can completely avoid receiving God's judgment for our sin if he, we trust in what he's done for us out of his great love. He came to earth as Jesus to live among us and to take on the punishment that we deserve for our sin, for rejecting God, all of our sin on the cross. And a passage in John chapter 3, verse 18 puts it like this. It says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Those who believe that Jesus paid for um, their sin when he died on the cross and conquered death three days later will not be condemned. And if we trust in his death on the cross, that it's paid for all our sin, then we will be in an eternal glory with God in heaven when we die. And we will not receive the punishment that we deserve because Jesus, he's paid for it all. It's so good. It's so relieving. And so this psalm, it can sound like Christians are celebrating that people are going to be punished, and, and that's not the case at all. When discussing the eternal consequences of rejecting God, Christians should be deeply concerned for other people's salvation. And there's a lot of weight behind the fact that people are going to hell. And this is a heavy and sensitive topic. And so we need to take it seriously. We don't want people to go there. We want to warn them about it so that they can be saved from it. We want to tell them about the wonderful things that God has done for us and in the future. Which brings us to our third point um, from verses 23 to 28. And that is, living God's way means help for the present and the future. Living God's way means help for the present and the future. We can forget to look at um, this life in light of eternity, that God is present with us now in this life and he's promising to guide us with his spirit and his word and then we can look forward to an eternity uh, with him and to live the world's ways to reject this and re- disregard the eternal implications of this decision. And this is what Asaph reflects on after he wakes up to the unhealthy mindset that he was digging in- himself into, which we read through earlier in the psalm. And so in verses 23 to 28, he reflects on both God's present guidance and counsel and then our future heaven. 
the now and the not yet. He focuses on the positive reality to following God's way. He elaborates on the true statement made in verse 1, which we read at the beginning. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The particular verse that I would like to draw your attention to is verse 25 in this section. And so this is an excellent summary um, of what he is describing. In the first part of verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And so heaven, it's a great thing to be looking forward to, to be in the presence of God. And that's what he's getting at. Asaph, he's a human like us. He's experiencing injustice like us. Yet he's eager to be with God. And this shows us that he knows that God is good, that God is a loving personal creator that wants the best for us. But what about down here on earth right now? Well, Asaph says, And earth has nothing I desire besides you. What a profound thing to say. What about all the prosperity that he was just envying? Doesn't he desire enormous riches, a position of adoration, an unburdened life, the largest palace, the most fashionable sandals? What would happen to his desire for these things when or if he gets them? Um, I'm not sure if a a lot of us had a, a, a prize toy when we were young. Before high school, I went to a bike shop uh, with my dad, and uh, we were looking at bikes uh, for my birthday. And so there was this dark red mountain bike um, with meaty handle grips, which you twisted to change gears. I felt like I was a um, r- driving, a, riding a motorbike when I was riding this push bike. Um, it looked pretty awesome. I wanted it, and thankfully I got it uh, for my birthday. Um, it was my prized possession and, and, and my bragging rights. Um, there, there's a picture of it. That's... That's not exactly my bike, that's someone else's bike, but that's the same brand, same model, everything. That's, that's exactly what it looked like. Anyway, it wasn't until I was older that I realized that it wasn't as good as I thought it was. The rims started to go really wonky, and the cool handy grip, the, the twisty handle grip, gear changing thing started to not work half the time. Um, the handlebar started bending, and it even rusted at the, the stock that was holding it up. I thought it was going to come off um, <laughs> when I was riding it one time. Um, and, and when I learned a bit more about um, bikes, I, I realized it didn't have disc brakes. Um, I'll suggest you can look up the difference between the brakes and bikes later if you like in your own time. Um, <laughs> I finally read the sticker on it and it said no off-road use. What kind of a mountain bike has a sticker on it that says no off-road use? It turned into a piece of junk that I no longer wanted. It was good for a short while, while it lasted. And prosperity, it looks great before we have it. However, when we get it, when we get what we want, it doesn't take long before our infatuation infatuation with it just dissipates. And when it comes to pursuing the prosperity of the world, Asaph realizes that ultimately it's it's worthless in comparison to what God gives is realize that those who don't follow God, um, who do follow God, receive guidance and counsel, knowing <clears throat> now through through talking to God in his in the prayers, seeking God's wisdom um, through His scriptures and Spirit. And all this, it doesn't mean that wealth is bad because we can definitely use it to support and love people as well. 
but we also do receive a love from the community of people that we're in. Um, he has realized that we can receive from God the eternity in heaven with him where there is no injustice. And so in these last two verses, Asaph is reminded of the truth after reflecting on what living the world's way leads to. He has given us insight to the turmoil that envy can cause. And so he concludes this psalm with ver- these verses which summar- summarize the uh, danger of envy uh, for God's people. And he says uh, in verse 28, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. So envying and chasing prosperity is a danger for God's people as it can leave us with nothing relationship-wise. We can become unfaithful to God and unfaithful to people. The broken relationship with God will leave us condemned. And for Christians, since it's uh, the consequence for following the world's way, we should be convicted out of love and, and concern to warn people who don't follow Jesus that this is the judgment that they're choosing to receive. We need to let people know that they can be brought back into a right relationship with God if they trust in Jesus. And so Asaph, he knows what really matters, a right relationship with God. And God, he wants a right relationship with us. And it's tempting to chase prosperity at at the expense of relationships. How many Saturdays are we unnecessarily working to get that extra bit of savings for the nicer house at the expense of time with family and friends? How much extra time are we staying back at work to impress the boss to get that promotion? How much extra time are we spending studying to get that high distinction instead of just a distinction at the expense of community and growing in our faith? Are we willing to give these up for the faithfulness we should have to family and friends and to God? Is it worth considering what our priorities are and remembering that prosperity has nothing on eternity in heaven? So we need to know that God is present in our future, um, which we can see uh, in verse 28, as he says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It is easy to slip into envy and it's dangerous. However, we receive wonderful counsel and guidance from God through reading his word, from talking to him in prayer, expressing our frustrations uh, with him and surrounding ourselves in the community of people who also do this. He's our all-powerful creator who saves us from the punishment that we deserve. And so if you remember uh, the neighbor that we, we pictured at the beginning, uh, the one that we envied who rocked up in the latest BMW, and he gave us that dirty smile, <laughs> now that we are reminded of the dangers of envy, there's no need to envy as we have everything we need. Instead, we should be concerned for our prosperous neighbors who don't know what God has done for them through Jesus. And so we should feel sorry that their life is saturated in materialism and that they don't follow God and they're not receiving the eternal riches of of heaven that God has waiting for us. And so what should we do instead of envying them? Well, we we should tell them about Jesus. Please pray with me. Uh, Father, um, help us to not slip into envy, Lord. Father, help us to be fully satisfied um, in you, in, in Jesus and what he's done on the cross for us. Father, help us look to 
um, the future heaven that we will receive, the future um, glory that we will be in with you, Father. Lord, help us to um, look to yeah, your community of believers for help and support and uh, look to your word to, to grow in our faith, Father, and help us just to identify um, in our lives where we might be uh, prioritizing prosperity over God. And Lord, I, I ask that um, yeah, those of us who, who are prosperous, Father, I pray that you um, yeah, help us to understand that you've given that to us to also love and support and, and help those in need, Lord. And I pray that you, you help those of us who are prosperous um, to use that for your glory. In your son's name.